the same boat there. Um, so I think it is um, significant, really, that uh, we look at what Jesus teaches about prayer. Um, I also want to point out that in Matthew 6, this is Jesus teaching about personal prayer, devotional prayer. This is about you in private. In fact, he specifically says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray in secret. So this is not about big congregational prayer or open prayer. Um, This is about personal devotions. And he says, pray like this. This is a a pattern that he's giving us. Um, It's not a formula, but it gives us something about the balance in prayer and the order in which we should pray. It's a, a model to be replicated. It's not a ritual. It's not an incantation. Um, Often I think it's used in that way. There is, I will acknowledge, there is value in joint recital of that prayer as we pray together, as a congregation, as we pray the same words. There is value in that. It builds a sense of, you know, group dynamics and bonding. But um, really what I'm wanting to do this morning is talk about this prayer in terms of equipping you for your own personal prayer. And, um, you know, if I said to you, <laughs> if I said to you, you know, perhaps if you make a, a, um, a, a New Year's resolution to pray more, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, how many times has that happened? <laughs> Um, But let's have a look then. We're going to look at um, the passage in um, Mark 6. The one in Luke is slightly reduced, but uh, the one in Mark 6 is what we're going to stick with. Uh, Sorry, Matthew 6. Thank you. Matthew 6, not Mark. Um, One thing you might notice um, in your Bibles, the chances are in your Bibles that the, the bit at the end... Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for ever ever and ever. Amen. That bit you might find is missing in your Bible. Certainly if you've got a modern translation, you may find it in there perhaps uh, in italics or in brackets or maybe as a marginal note. Um, It does appear in some early manuscripts of the book of Matthew. Um, When we look at uh, some of the early church fathers and their writings, It's there about as often as not. So as often as they quote the Lord's Prayer, it's there, and, you know, the other times it's not. Um, The big difference, really, for us, I think, um, in the Catholic Church liturgy, the doxology at the end, thine be the kingdom, power, and glory, that's not included. Um, They didn't include it. Of course, they've been around for, you know, 1,500 years before anything else. So they've got a good head start. Um, so they didn't include it in their liturgy, and they don't include it in their penance. So um, in the Catholic tradition, if you've confessed your sins to the priest, then you might be told to say a few Hail Marys and a few Our Fathers. And that's a reciting of this prayer. Um, of course, in Catholic liturgy, um, for a long time it's been in Latin, and in Latin it's known as the Pater Noster, the Our Father. That's how they refer to it. Um, what really changed, I think, for, for um, 
Well, it came to the end of the 1500s. The Bible was being translated into English, and some of those first English translations, Tyndale's version, did include it in the narrative there in Matthew 6. Crucially, the King James Version includes that doxology at the end. So if you've got a King James Version, you'll find it's in there. A hand at the back, I would say, yeah, good, well done. If you've got the, the, and then, of course, it got included in the Common Book of Prayer as well, and therefore is included in the Protestant liturgy. But most modern translations um, stick it in the marginal. There are a few other variations as well, um, but we'll pick them up as we go through. So let's, let's have a look then. Let's start then. Our Father who is in heaven. So this really gives us a fundamental orientation for our private prayers. We start with the fatherhood of God. We start with his fatherhood towards us and therefore our sonship, daughtership towards him. That's where we begin. That's where Jesus, the Son, who reveals God as the Father, that's where he bids us begin. So I want to put a big kind of, you know, start here sign on that issue of fatherhood. If you don't know where to begin, if you come to prayer and you think, well, you know, what, how do I start? What should I start here? Start with the fatherhood of God. Thank him for being your heavenly father. Begin there. Thank him for being part of his family, for being a son and a daughter that he's included you in that. This is the great, really, the great New Testament, new covenant prayer. It's what distinguishes it from the Old Testament prayers in the past. Now, with the coming of the Son, we can address God as our Father. So if you're not sure, sometimes people are not sure, do I talk do I pray to the Lord Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Do I pray to the Lord? Do I pray to God? What do I, what do I say? What do I begin? Where do I start? Have, no, have some confidence that you can start with Father because that's written there for you in Scripture. Hallowed be thy name. We've just been hearing about holiness. Hallowed means to be made holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be venerated to be worshipped and praised. So when we say, hallow be thy name, what we're saying is we're setting God apart as being holy. Now, you could, some people see that as a prayer. They pray, it's a, it's a request, may the world hallow your name, may the world honour your name. But also, it can be an act of worship. I hallow your name, I honour your name, I set you apart as holy, I recognize who you are. It's an act of worship. Uh, think about the names of God. Think about his name. Think about how you could call him creator, redeemer, saviour, shepherd. You might want to think about some of those Old Testament names, El Shaddai, God Almighty, the all-powerful one, the all-sufficient one, or Yahweh, the I am, the ever-existent, the self-existent one. I am who I am, Yahweh. Or whatever comes to you, whatever might be appropriate for you at that time. Just take a few minutes to think about that and let that be a source of worship to you. Psalm 100, 
We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter his courts with praise. Start with some thanksgiving, with some praise. Just say a few sentences. Just say a few words. It's all about orientating yourself. And then really we've got, well, I mean, it's just a massive catch-all, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's praying, not that we would go up to heaven, but that heaven would come down to us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, that is a definition, isn't it, really? The kingdom of God is where the will of God is being done. So it's a prayer of submission. It's like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, yet not my will but yours be done. And we are joining with him in that and saying, before we come, you see, and bring all of our big requests and declare our, our will and our problems, and all, we're actually starting by saying, actually, what's most important is your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's an opportunity, really, um, to, um, to pray what's on God's agenda. What's on your heart? What's your will? rather than what I want to happen. What's your will? Now we might say, well, it's pointless to pray that the kingdom of God will come and that God's will will be done because that's going to happen anyway. God's will will always triumph. And do I really hasten that by praying these things? Am I really making a difference? There was a, there's a, 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 a passage in... Um, in uh, I was looking at different prayers in Scripture. Um, in... Acts, when Paul is shipwrecked, <laughs> um, they're, they're in this massive storm and they're being driven along and it's, it's dark whether it's day or night. Um, and it says they prayed fervently that morning would come. And I kind of thought about that. I thought, well, well the morning's going to come anyway and is it going to come any quicker because you pray for that? But, but the prayer is what matters, isn't it? It's the, it's, their, it's the way that the prayer changes them and affects them. And it's the same for us. We line up our desires, our aspirations, our priorities. We line them up with the will of God when we pray these things. So the first thing I'd say is, well, do you know what? It's a model for prayer, so just do it. You know, here is the Lord Jesus Christ telling you, pray these things. Let's just do it, shall we, rather than get too uh, intellectual about it. But as you pray, it changes you. And you subjugate your will to his. Also, you know, it prevents you from, from um, just reducing God to some kind of personal genie that's going to serve you and do your will. I, I, this is what I want to happen, so now I'm going to pray and tap into some uh, otherworldly power to wield that to my advantage. When we say, your will be done, we're putting all that kind of thing aside, aren't we? We're surrendering. It's an act of submission. So pray that your will will be conformed to his, that you will grow in holiness, as Alex just been saying to us, um, and that you know, you'll die to yourselves and live to him.
Okay, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I think that most people, me included, are easily and most readily motivated to pray about themselves. It's easy, isn't it? Suddenly we find all the words and all the fluency that we need when, it, when we're on our knees praying about what we need, what we need. So, um, you know, that's the way it is. Um, now, this word here, daily, um, epiousios is the Greek, only occurs twice in the Bible, once here in Matthew 6 and once in the parallel passage in Luke 11. So only in this prayer we have that word, give us this day our daily bread. And what does that mean? It means, that word means what's needed for today. It's about a daily provision, two days provision. So really when we're praying here, our eyes are very much on the immediate, the immediate circumstance that we're praying for, that God will provide for us today. And bread, of course, is a metaphor, a metaphor for sustenance. So yes, we pray for our food. I mean, fortunately, I think probably, you know, not many of us would have been in a position where we seriously needed to pray for food today. That's something which is, uh, you know, we're very fortunate about here. Um, but it means for your daily provisions, not just your food, but, you know, clothing, shelter, you know, your, 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 for your well-being, for, you know, your emotional needs, for your psychological needs, that God will sustain you and maintain you. And, of course, for your spiritual needs, which he sees and has provided for in the Lord Jesus long before we understood and could ever have even asked for such a thing. Um, there's a, a, an obvious pattern there with manna. The manna in the Old Testament, when the Israelites are being led through the desert, they were fed for 40 years, which says something about the faithfulness of God. They were fed for 40 years with manna. And the manna was, um, it appeared on the ground, um, like the dew in the morning, and it had this property that you could only collect what you needed for the day. It wouldn't last, it wouldn't keep over. So if you gathered too much, uh, more than what you needed, if you were greedy about it all, the, all the surplus would be lost and would, would, just, would just be rotted away and you'd got to go out and collect it again. And also, you know, depending on what, how much time you had and how many people you had in your family, there was always just enough for you to provide for. So, you know, one can imagine spread across the, the desert floor, it, it meant that whatever direction you headed off in, you would come across what you needed to gather for that day, whether it's for you individually or for you and your family, it would be there. It would be provided. So just imagine that every day, those Israelites walked out into the desert and found their daily bread. They found what they needed. And I would imagine after maybe a week or two, you would head off with some confidence and it would even become probably a thing you'd hardly even think about. After 40 years, it's just what you did because it was just there. So daily bread, God, there's a sense of God providing for what we need right now. Um, I think that's one of the ways 
of our Heavenly Father, that he does not put a huge pile somewhere and say, that's it, that's what you've got, live on that for the rest of your life. Because there is to be that daily coming towards him, coming back to him. There is to be that understanding that he is providing for us each day, every day. We get to learn the faithfulness of God in that daily provision. That might be weekly, maybe it's monthly provision these days. Perhaps you put a, a budget together. We just put a budget together ourselves for January and uh, you know, realised, um, well, when we first put it together, we were a bit short. Um, and you know, we just see the different ways in which God provides and brings in those funds, really. So, so think about it that way. That's what it's about. Daily bread. Um, we've got, really, at the very end of the chapter here, um, more teaching about that in Matthew 6. Um, Don't worry then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Or if you want the King James Version, uh, it is. The King James Version says, let me get it for you here. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Have you heard that phrase before? That's where that comes from, the end of Matthew 6. So, ask confidently, Expect to receive is an antidote for self-sufficiency. You know, we need to know where our supply comes from. Notice the plurality in it as well. Give us this day our day. Not give me my daily bread. There's something a bit more plural about it, isn't there? When you're thinking about your needs, you're thinking about the needs of all of those around you. You're thinking about the family needs. You're thinking about those in need that you might have sufficient to give to them and be generous to them as well. So, you know, it is to counter that kind of selfish approach. Okay. Forgive us our trespasses. I like the way that these things are linked. Give us a day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. I think this is also about daily trespass, shall we say. It's about... Um, it's about the sins that accumulate around us, really, as we go through life, as we go through the day. Luke 11 um, has a word there for sins. Matthew 6 has this word which is translated trespass, um, or in the King James Version, it's translated debts. Um, it's, a, it's a wider sense of obligation, um, obligation to God, but also obligations to one another, perhaps through our own faults and failings. Um, and it's about repentance and it's about walking in righteousness just as Alex has just been encouraging us walking in holiness, being children of light but it's about that kind of foot washing you know, it's about that daily just cleaning, just being clean stuff, you know, muddy days like this you know, when you're walking along you can just find your boots are dirty the bottom of your trousers are dirty mud clings to you, certainly clings to me <laughs> I always get filthy um, yeah so it's about um, it's about getting clean now look at the order here look at the order here 
okay? It's only this part of the prayer. We've gone through the prayer quite a bit, and it's only now that we become conscious of our sinfulness and of our failings and of the things that we've done that are wrong and of the things that we haven't done, that we should have done that are wrong. So let me say, don't start here. In this model of prayer we've got, we do not start with how unworthy we are and how unrighteous we are and how much we failed and, you know, how... We don't start there. So let me encourage you if, you, if you feel... One of the things about prayer is, you know, when we begin to pray, we are... There's a mirror to us, isn't there? We do become aware of ourselves. We do become conscious of ourselves. But, you know, if... You know... If as, a, if as a parent your child came to you and began with how unworthy they were to be your child and how miserable they've done in life and how much they've failed, you know, it, you'd want to just, you know, shake them out of it, wouldn't you? Let's be confident as Christians in the salvation that we've got, that we are clothed in the Lord Jesus. We, we are made righteous. We are right with God. We are sons and daughters. We can come to him as our father because that's the work that he's done. It's not something that we've done. That's what he's done. That's what he's done through the Lord Jesus on the cross. It's not something that we can undo. So that's the way it is. Now we have the provision to come and look for God's forgiveness and cleansing and that correction in our lives. But, you know, don't start there. This model says start with fatherhood, start with that relationship, look at the will of God, ask for your needs, and then attend to these things as, you know, as that becomes necessary. Now look, okay, sometimes you will feel the conviction of sin in your life and you will feel propelled by the Holy Spirit to get on your knees, you know, and get right with God, all right? Sometimes that happens, but I'm talking about your daily devotions. I'm talking about every day, good habits in prayer. <coughs> Obviously linked here with forgiving others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You may find, you should expect to find, as you begin to pray, as you've got to this point in prayer, and you're beginning to confess your own sins and your own failings, you may well find that God prompts you about, hey, you know, that was a lousy uh, attitude you had towards that person, you know? Um, uh, that was a, you know, that was a poor response to them. Um, you know, you, you took, um, you know, you were offended by what they said um, or what they did or what they didn't do. The fact that they didn't return your garden hose, you know, when they were supposed to. Or, you know, these are the things that, you know, we can, they can, we can find we're embittered. We're, we hold that against somebody. And those are the times when you find the Holy Spirit will prompt you and say, you need to forgive that person. You need to be right with that person. Folk in the church, be right with your brothers and sisters in the church. Have a good attitude. Have the best attitude towards one another. If you're in the workplace, so easy, <laughs> you know, to be um, sinned against by those in your workplace. Have a good, clean attitude towards... 
and your boss as well. Have a good attitude towards your boss, despite the fact that they're a useless boss and they're doing it all wrong, and if you had in charge, you'd do it all differently. Have a good attitude towards them. Make sure things are right in your heart there. And your family as well, relatives. Some of those uh, things can run deep and for uh, along to even generation to generation. Don't carry them on in your heart. You know, if there is... Um, if there's division and separation in the family, have a right attitude towards your relatives and be right with God in doing that. You can't be right with God if you're not right with other people. And I would say to you, if you have trouble feeling forgiven and loved by God Almighty, if that's a difficult thing for you, let me just say, just examine your life and think, well, actually, am I holding stuff against other people? Am I walking in unforgiveness in my life towards other people? And let's get that sorted, and I think you'll find you will much more easily then experience the fellowship of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God in your life too. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, temptation and evil, here we go. Lead us not into temptation. Difficult phrase, really, difficult in translation, that. Um, the temptation here we're talking about is a time of trial, a time of testing through adversary. There's a great um, scripture in Proverbs that talks about how God um, tests the righteous as um, gold is tested in the furnace. You put, a, you put the gold ore in and you heat it up and the impurities are driven off. And, you know, a gold smelter will literally keep just scraping off the surface until he can see, she can see her reflection in that molten gold. Then you know it's pure. So these are, the, you know, these, this is what we're talking about in terms of temptation. And God tests our faith, we know that. He does not, however, lead us into temptation. We know that from James 1, 13 to 14. God does not tempt anyone. Um, so, a um, bit difficult to know quite what's meant here. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, rebukes his disciples that are sleeping. He comes back to them and he says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. And then says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there's something there about recognizing that we are easily tempted, that that temptation comes from our flesh, and there is an intervention here in terms of prayer that we would not be tempted. So you could, you could look at this in terms of lead us not to, well, let's, let's lead us not into, let, if, you, if you take the negative out of that, then it's lead us away from. Yeah, so lead us not into is lead us away from. Um, or you could see it in terms of, and indeed some translations have, do not let us be led into. So keep us from being led into temptation. Keep us from the time of trial. I would just say, you know, there's prayer there to be had in terms of that warfare between the spirit and the flesh. We know if we are led by the spirit... We do not gratify the desires of the flesh. We know that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. They are in conflict. They are in war against one another. And just like every other Christian, you know, we experience that warfare within us. 
So pray into those things and pray that you'll be successful when temptation comes, successful to avoid temptation. Pray that you'll be stronger in the spirit. Deliver us from evil. Well, not clear, I suppose, whether that's evil in general or the plans of the evil one in particular. I mean, in, in one sense, it doesn't really matter. It amounts to the same thing. I, I personally, I take that and pray in terms of protection. Protection against accidents, um, you know, uh, the malice of other people, um, deception, fraud, scams, those kind of random things that, you know, you do hear about people falling into these things. And, you know, I think really, you know, if I look back, you know, who I would, I think of my Heavenly Father intervening that such things don't happen to me and, and my loved ones. Um, and I don't know how many times he does that because it's something that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you, you only know when it stops happening. So I think, you know, of God intervening. I think of his angels around me protecting me. I, I guess I can <laughs> remember perhaps times driving in the car a little bit too fast and uh, coming round the corner and realizing, oh, you know, if it wasn't for um, that guy coming the other way, flashing his lights, or, or me missing that gear or something, could have been a lot worse. So, you know, sometimes you may be aware of, uh, was that God intervening? Is this guy in front of me who's going so slow, <laughs> is this in fact some angelic intervention to prevent me from crashing off at the next bend? So sometimes be thankful for the guy in front who's going slow. But yeah, pray for those things, I think. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the world that happens, a lot of things that could trip us up. Um, you know, pray, deliver us from evil. And then we close, of course, with that doxology again. Now, um, let me read you a passage from Daniel. So, um, thine be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Look at what Daniel says when he addresses King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was king of the Babylonian Empire, this was a time, a real time in real history, when Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, was the single empire ruling across all of the civilized peoples of the earth. So he was the king of the whole earth. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. And this is how Daniel addresses him. In uh, Daniel 2, 37 and 38, You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And where, wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the sky, or the, birds of the, uh, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. He had that vision, didn't he? Um, so there was a man, you know, a, a real guy. He was really there, and he really was ruling over everything. But Daniel says, it's the God of heaven that has given you the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. It is the God in heaven. It is his to give 
Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. I'm going to read you one more as well from um, Chronicles. Um, so this is how um, David um, addresses God right at the end of Chronicles. This is when um, everything for the temple has been assembled. The temple hasn't been built, but all the plans are in place, the blueprints have all been drawn up, and everything that's needed has been amassed. And there's this great period of worship, and this is how David finishes. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honour come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. There are some uh, great uh, worship songs that pick up those sentiments and echo them back to us. So a good place to finish is also to finish with praise, finish with worship, finish with a recognition that God is sovereign, that he is in charge of all, and that it's his to, uh, to give to whoever he wills. Okay, I'm going to close things there. Let me, um, let me just pray for us that we would, uh, well, shall I say, improve our prayer lives then. How about, is that a modest enough request? That, we, that our prayer lives might improve in 2024. Father, we... We thank you for this great prayer. We thank you uh, for this great teaching. I pray, Lord, that we might remember these things, that we might apply these things in our daily devotions, uh, that, Lord, we might um, be uh, quick to um, model uh, this prayer. I pray, Lord, that we'd look at the order and respond to the order here. Start with you as Father, Start with thanksgiving and praise. Start with aligning ourselves to your will. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Thank you that we can come to you confidently with our requests, Lord, for daily bread. And thank you that you are such a loving and faithful Father, that you provide for us again and again and again. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you provide for us all that we need. It comes from your hand, Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk, to walk in the righteousness that you've won for us. Help us to be led by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to walk in forgiveness and peace, Lord, toward everybody else, Lord, in our, in our lives, Lord. Everybody and anybody and everybody in our lives, Lord. We pray for your protection. We thank you that your angels are around us. We thank you that you intervene on our behalf countless times, Lord, and we know nothing of it, Lord. Um, and we just want to lift our voices once again and bless you and honour you and praise you because you are worthy. You are worthy. It all belongs to you. All the power, all the glory, 
the kingdom is yours. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.